Welcome to another episode of Objection, Your Fiction. Um, Lee Bergstein with Cooper Knowlton. Really excited to have with us today an old friend, Michael Tomsky. Uh, Michael is a partner at, I'm going to try to get this right, Michael, but there's a lot of a lot of names, Ruben Fiorella, Freeman, and Mercanti LLP. Um, his focus is with first party and insurance coverage departments. So uh, that's mostly insurance defense work, right? It's kind of the gist. All, all insurance defense work on the civil side. Uh, our clients are all either insurance companies, rental car companies, uh, you know, products, liability, build, uh, construction defects, first party claims, which is what I do a majority of the time general liability. And then we also do some maritime and reinsurance, but I'm not involved in that, uh, which is good because that sounds terrible. Okay. Well, this, this isn't a plug for Ruben Fiorella. So we'll just move on to the, it, actual, could, be. it could be, but it's not. Um, I'm just kidding. It's, it's a great firm. You should check it out. So Mike, thanks for being here. Um, you're here for two reasons. The first is uh, we're, we're, we picked a TV show that, that has some potential, uh, insurance defense issues, more likely just general civil liability issues. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, the second reason is I cannot think of a bigger fan of the TV show Beverly Hills on a 2.0 in the entire universe than you. Um, I've known that probably like the, the first thing that I think about when I think of Nano 2.0 is you. So not any of the actual people in Nano 2.0. So uh, happy to have you on to discuss a riveting episode of Beverly Hills 90210. Um, and uh, we're going to start by having Cooper do the recap of the episode. But Mike, real fast, uh, 90210, you named your, your second son after Dylan McKay, correct? That is 100% true. Uh, while my wife would disagree and say we just like the name, I told friends before we even got together, I go, I will have a son named Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we did the first, as as you're aware, uh, we in the Jewish community, you name uh, the first letter is after someone who's passed away. So we didn't have a, a D when uh, my first son was uh, born, Adam. We had to use an A and then an H for the middle name. And then I had kind of carte blanche for the for the second uh, son. And it was really. I thought you were, you know, were going to say that you, that you killed somebody off with a D before he was born to get the. I mean, that was probably the next step. <laughs> Uh, if need be. Uh, luckily, my wife somewhat agreed. She actually agreed, agreed in the operating room when uh, Dylan was born. The doctor said, do you have any names? And I said, the name is going to be Dylan. And she started saying, oh, I don't know. And all the doctors and nurses were like, that is a fantastic name. Uh, frankly, if I could have pushed it and gone just Dylan McKay Tomsky, I would have done that as well. That one, I got a little more pushback given that I'm not Irish and it's a little bit too ridiculous, but uh, for my wife who says that it was not because of 90210, she is dead wrong. And I think she really, she knows that at this point, he's six years old. And I think she has come to terms that that's why his name is Dylan. I love it. I love it. I was, I was saying before, before uh, you hopped on, I, I'm, <clears throat> I'm 38. So I was born in 1985 and I feel like I am just like a little bit too young for nine. Like I, I think my sister, who is forty-one, so she's like three years older than me. She was, she was like prime nine hundred two one zero demographic, and it's just like something that I like just kind of missed. Like Dawson's Creek, I was there for the OC. I was there for 
like that those were like prime like high school years into college years but 90210 just i don't know why like i really i just i just missed it completely i think i honestly think this was the first episode i've ever seen so well it's the first one to see uh my sister's 38 and we we would watch it together and this isn't be you know before dvrs and mm-hmm, tivos sure. and whoever left the room i you know the other one have to call back it's back and run mm-hmm. back in and when uh, Brenda and Dylan split up at the end of season two, and and there was a big cliffhanger. It was a very big moment in the. Thompson- why are you right? Why, why are you running this for Cooper? Cooper, this was his entry. <laughs> and you know uh, what? It's like a, I can't so pronounce sister, it. Your sister was six years old. I mean, this looks like this episode <laughs> that we're watching came out in ninety one. She was six years old watching watching this with you, which is some heavy some heavy stuff for a six. <laughs> what's a What's a better way to discuss you know gun usage and and the and the proliferation of gun ownership in this country than a legendary figure like Scott Scanlon getting <laughs> put down in his prime by his own stupidity. So, but I guess that's what we're here to talk about. Yeah, that's a, that's a great segue. So Cooper, we're going to put two minutes on the clock for you to explain a show that you know nothing about um, other than this one episode. If you haven't pieced it together yet, this is the famous episode, season two, episode 14 called The Next 50 Years, um, in which... <clears throat> David's uh, David Silver's childhood friend Scott. It's his birthday party, and he shoots himself. And Cooper, I'll let you give the full recap of the episode starting now. All right. So this the the show is takes place at a high school in Beverly Hills. There is a group of friends, <laughs> um, five or six, I, I presume, a, a couple boys and a couple girls. In this friend group is someone named David, <laughs> and David is cornered by uh, Scott's mother in a very. I, I have a lot of questions about David's relationship with Scott's mother because having seen enough like of these other shows, I was like, is there something like this? Is, is there like something sexual going on here between him and Scott's mother? Is there some weird like? backstory that i'm missing like he seemed like he would just do whatever scott's he was like afraid of scott's mother i don't quite understand what was happening but scott's mother basically convinces him that uh it's scott's birthday and david needs to organize a party for him um david is reluctant to do it but he feels bad for scott scott doesn't seem to have any friends so he invites the gang uh to come to scott's house Again, weird. Weirdly, there's like a bunch of little kids at this birthday party. There's like little kids, and it's like a hybrid. Is it Scott's birthday party with someone else? Um, I don't quite understand. But why are there like five year olds and six year olds? At <laughs> birthday party? We can we yeah. can get to that as we start. Uh, okay, we all right, into- yeah, lots of questions about that as well. Um, he has this party, so they all show up for Scott's party. Um, during Scott's party. Uh, Scott's they're they're missing matches. They're it's time for after they dance for a while, do some awkward dancing, and the mom wants them to do some limbo. It's it's just very uncomfortable the entire time. And then uh, they bring out the birthday cake. There's no matches. Scott goes up to his dad's office to look for matches. He opens up his dad's desk drawer. He finds his dad's loaded firearm, and then David walks up. I was sure he's going to kill David. Um, that was where I thought it was going. But he, David walks into the room. He spins the gun, trying to look cool on his finger, and then um, proceeds to shoot himself. Uh, okay, that, that's, that's two minutes and five seconds. But I wanted to get through the, the reason why we're talking. I've got a lot more. I, I, I thought you were going to get started. 
I thought you were going to. I was going to get into the time capsules. I got a lot of stuff I wanted to talk about with the time capsules and how that was going to factor in the yearbook video. Also, we'll save that for a future episode. The 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 most important. That's the most important part of the episode for the purpose of this conversation. Um, So yeah. So uh, Scott shoots himself in the stomach, which actually, like thinking about the episode, I could have sworn they shot himself in the head. like when I saw it 30 years ago, I don't think I ever rewatched the episode since then. I could have sworn if you asked me, like he, he shot himself in the head. And I remembered like a visual of him actually shooting himself in the head, but it's off screen. So um, a lot of things that I remembered incorrectly about what happened there. In any event, um, Mike, what we want to talk about today was a few things, I guess. Why don't we start with um, just uh macro like thirty thousand foot view like what do you when, when you rewatch this and you rewatch this scene looking at it through like the attorney prism as a as now like a former prosecutor and then a, an insurance defense attorney what were your thoughts like what, what what did you think about immediately when you were looking at this through this this podcast prism well when we picked this uh to do it's like kind of my episode which i i think is perfect for me because i've watched uh this show and this series uh many many times uh in the last 41 years i guess of my life the first thing in terms of our discussion was actually how many kind of loose ends or unknown things there were when you're talking about potential either criminal or civil uh because when it when it turns out to be a you know gun issue first question is 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 it the gun like products liability kind of issue, or is it a negligence issue by the user? Now, in this particular show, they did not really go into a lot of that. Obviously, it's, it's for you know tweens and teenagers to discuss, uh, but they didn't show about you know uh, if there's any kind of issue itself with the gun. So, most likely, I would say there'd be, from what we know, very little in terms of like a products liability, products defect type of situation. So, then the other question becomes really more of a negligence issue. So Scott being a minor, the negligence gets imputed to the to the parents. Now him being the one that dies, being the 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 parent's child is the one that dies, and not somebody else, and someone else doesn't get hurt. It is a little bit limited. Um, but the question in terms of negligence would be where the gun was, the locking mechanism on if it's a box or a safe, uh, and then uh, his ability to understand the gun has he used it before. So based on what we know from the show and from other episodes, he comes back from Scott comes back from Oklahoma over the summer in between from other, from other episodes. We need we need a broader context to understand what happened here. Well, if if you're asking me about the the negligence issue with the gun, which is one of the reasons I'm here to discuss this, um, he did mention in a previous episode that he had spent the summer in Oklahoma with other family members in which he shot shot guns often. Okay, so. It would, again, from watching it from afar, it would appear to be that he has some knowledge of how to use the firearm. So that's one thing. Another thing you, you do not see in the show, whether or not it was in some kind of lockbox, a safe, whether he had to add bullets to it, the, the, the negligence to the parents, at least, or if it was an over 18-year-old individual, which is not in this case, you have to factor all those things in. If it's in a safe, if it's locked, if you have to add bullets to the gun, it's a lot of steps for this kid to have to do that. 
the fact that he knows how to shoot would maybe lower the negligence of the parents having a gun in the house per se. Um, because we don't know, we can't fully go into that. Be you know that'd be a question that if this was a case of mine, you'd have to know those things ahead of time. Maybe talking to David, talking to the parents. But from the from the looking out of it, I think the only issue you could actually have would be David's potential suit against the parents, and nothing from Scott being negligent himself with the gun. Yeah, I mean, let's let's stick with Scott for a second. It didn't really seem like he had to do a whole, I think there's two things that I thought of. One, it didn't seem like he had to do a whole lot to get a loaded gun in his hands because there's very little time that elapses between when we cut away from him unlocking the, the, the case and David going upstairs. That's the first thing. So it seems like my guess is it's just a gun sitting in a locked drawer somewhere. That's, that's right. what the show I think wants you to believe. Secondly, it seemed like he knew what was in there, right? So like he, it seemed as if, and I don't know if this is an element or not, is there, would there be an argument that um, it should be hidden in a place where none of the kids know where it is? Like this, it was pretty clear he knew exactly where the gun was. He found the keys and he's like, oh, these, this is the keys to the gun and I wanna show off in front of, what was that? I, I I sort of thought it was that he was looking. What I said in in my in yeah. my summary, I thought he was looking for what? Didn't he go looking for matches or something like that? He was looking, looking for matches for the cake. I mean, again, Lee, Lee makes a good point there, and that again, that's kind of you know, it's a forty five second snapshot. Even the clip of him yeah. actually shooting himself is less than a minute. The 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 issues obviously would be things that we don't know, uh, yeah, where yeah. the gun is, the lock where the bullets are compared to the gun, it does seem, as Lee points out, that that most likely it was in this room, which is unlocked, near other things, you know, other household items such as matches where he's going to get. It does seem to be pretty easy access. So I think if he had shot David or shot somebody else, that person would have a would have a very good, at least preliminary case against the parents. The there. problem is that Scott, as a minor, he has no estate. The estate's yeah. his parents. So it basically, the estate is not going to be able to sue the parents for his own death. So that's why the issue really becomes what could theoretically happen <clears throat> with David. And I think maybe that's where the, the, the next part of this is going. But that, to me, is the bigger question from what is actually happening in the show. Well, I think there, there are two other things, though, about Scott and the parents. The first is... Now, this wasn't a law in 1991 in New York. I don't know if it was in California or not, but let's assume we're talking about New York law for a second. There's the, and I, I Googled this, there's a child access prevention and safe storage in New York, um, which is a law that exists in many other states around the country. It requires locking a gun in safe storage, which is a container that's incapable of being unlocked without a key or combination. And the, the, um, the, the ammunition has to be separate from the gun itself, and uh, it's punished. It's it's a misdemeanor um, if, but you know, leave aside the the shooting. Um, so I think at minimum, it seems like they're probably in violation of that law. Well, uh, again, I think I think that would depend though, because I think we're we're making some assumptions, which pro which very well could be true, but about and again. I think the fact that he is almost 18, I think he's, I think it's his 16th birthday or 15th birthday in the show. 
you know, at the, almost like a scale. If it's a three or four year old can access it versus a 16 or 17 year old, a 16 or 17 year old, let's say he's 16. If he knows the code, if he knows where the bullets are, it's a little bit different than, you know, a three or four year old being able to get in there. You know, if he's, able, I, again, we don't know where the gun was. Did he have to climb into something? Did he have to open a safe? Did he have to open a, a security box? Where was the ammunition? Where to get the ammunition? Uh, unfortunately, I guess they were not uh, thinking ahead 30-something years for this conversation uh, to, to answer those questions. So you bring up a very good point. And I, again, I think there's a kind of like a scale with its age, where it is, whether the person's an established uh, shooter. Based on the, the previous episodes, it does seem like Scott has some knowledge about it from being in Oklahoma. And it, it seemed like from the show that he had to open something to get the gun, yeah. which I think would eliminate some of that culpability by the parents, because I think they did do something that at least would have prevented, let's say, a younger, you know, a, a younger child from accessing that gun. One of one, one of the bevy of five year olds who were present in the house, they would have a, had a more difficult yeah. time finding the gun. Well, I mean, I think I think what you're basically getting at, which is a correct point, is that if it was a very young kid and they were able to get into the gun box and able to get into the ammunition, it's almost like per se negligent. Sure. I have a six-year-old. If my six-year-old could figure it out, then I'm not doing a good enough duty of uh, a good enough job hiding it. If a 15 or 16-year-old can do it, it, it might change the analysis a little bit. I think, I think that's, that's kind of what, I, what, what my thinking was watching this. Like, I don't know, you know, I think, I think his age was important. I think the fact that he did, it, it did look like he had to like go into a locked drawer, um, you know, leaving aside the, the safe, the safe storage law that Lee, that Lee mentioned, um, you know, my gut is that I, I, I don't know how, how negligent I think the parents were in this situation based on, again, based on the guy, the kid's age, do you think, do you assume that he's going to, you know, go in and you would, you would assume that a kid like this would, would maybe see a gun where, and, and be smarter than to twirl it around on his finger and do something stupid like that. Like that seems to be the real stupidity. It's not that he mm-hmm. discovers a gun and runs off and steals it and shoots someone. Right. Like, um, I don't know. I, I, I yeah. And what you just said is a good point in that what he was doing with the gun while stupid was almost showing you the awareness he had of the gun. Mm-hmm. That he's flipping it around, that he's that he's twirling it and trying to act like like that, uh, you know, whether it's a cowboy or, or you know, some of the Western figure versus a four or five year old who just picks it up, doesn't know what it is and, and it goes off. So I think, first of all, there's no negligence anyways, because Scott's dead and whatever. So the real question would be, is there a potential suit from David? Uh, but in terms of the criminal aspect of it, while a zealous prosecutor could probably file it, uh, I don't think many would, especially given the circumstances of we're going to charge the parents with the shooting death of their 16-year-old son. It's already a tragedy. I don't know many prosecutors who would who would necessarily go forward with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I actually think, you know, to push back for a second, I think the fact that you have a 16-year-old in the house who, look, 16-year-olds are stupid, right? Probably They're probably stupider in many ways than five-year-olds. Um, yeah, I, I almost feel like you have more of a responsibility with someone, with a 16-year-old who thinks he knows how to use a gun, who's more likely to go find it and use it without proper supervision, um, right? 
you can, you well, can very easily hide things from a five-year-old. It, it's much harder to hide something from a 16-year-old if, if he wants to find it and he knows about it. Well, I guess my response to that, it's an interesting point. I guess my response to that is, is like, are you taking the 16-year-old as they are or as an, as an objective person? First off, again, he he allegedly, based on you know the prior statements in a different episode, has some sort of knowledge of guns. So he he actually should be in a better position than an average 16-year-old when he actually gets the gun. The fact that he was as stupid as he was that caused his own demise is obviously it's a TV show and that's why they did it, is to get rid of him. He actually didn't want to act anymore, which is why they killed him in the show. But the fact is, is that one of the reasons is that, why is that really I, true? It is true. Him and Joffrey are two. two they just they got to get rid of him. You know? um, so I'm saying, I think I think the for him specifically, he actually probably had more knowledge than the average 16 year old. Like when I was 16, I had never shot a gun. I never we, my parents didn't have guns in the house. I'm not going to have guns in the house. So you could argue that this person is actually in a better position to know how dangerous they are if he's actually gone you know in a different whether it's california or a different state and actually gone shooting gone hunting and he's seen the power of these machines you could argue he would have more of an understanding of the seriousness of his actions than a normal 16 year old and especially a five or six year old so so shifting gears to the to the david question um just based on just based on the episode let's just let's just first start there just based on the episode is there any universe where david might have a claim i don't know what that claim would be intentional infliction of emotional distress or or just damages because he's psychologically damaged or something something like that from seeing this horrible this horrible situation um what you know david's family comes to you and says you know my son just experienced this horrific incident mm -hmm. um what do you what are you saying to them well, I think I think if anything, they would have something. It, the, the phrase would be zone of danger. It's often referred to in car car accident cases. If you're walking with, let's say, a child or your whoever, and they get struck right in front of you, you can actually have a claim for that negative, you know, uh, uh, emotional damage if you're there. Now, if you just hear about it later on, or if you're not present for it, you don't get to do that because you actually were not in fear for yourself. Where he might have a claim is that not only was he he was present. He's watching while he's flipping it around. As you mentioned yourself, and if I was, if I was, you know, in front of a jury, I would, I would make this exact point. You're watching it 30 years later, and you think he's going to shoot David. Now you don't know who David is. You don't know the stakes of the show. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't even know what the show is. You don't even know what the show is. You're I thinking no I have he's no going to shoot all, all the all yeah. the all the trials and tribulations that lie ahead for David. I have no exactly. idea. There's a lot. So the point is that you you have not seen the show, and your first thought was, he's going to shoot David. Mm -hmm. So if David's sitting there, he's saying, he might shoot me. So you've got him being him being there, seeing it. Uh, you He could definitely argue that he was scared for his own safety when the gun's being flipped around, and then obviously he sees the aftermath. Uh, what I think would be important here. And again, I think he probably would match it. Although, again, you look at the previous episodes and even this episode where he's almost being pushed to stay being friends with him. In order to have a zone of danger, you've got to have a personal relationship with the person who actually was injured. So the traditional thing would be, I'm walking with my son. A car hits him. I'm right there. It's my relationship with my son that's very obvious. That's an easy one. 
friends, best friends, whatever, you could probably make that out um, as being in a, in a personal enough relationship that he would be able to possibly recover for negligence under that zone of danger theory. Uh, again, obviously, the pushback would be what we were talking about earlier, which is it's not if it's not the parent's negligence, then what were you going to recover from since he's a minor? But I feel, I think he could probably at least state a pretty legitimate claim for his own zone of danger, watching what he watched, being scared that it was actually going to happen to him, and then witnessing the aftermath. Luckily, the parents have like 400 witnesses from the high school with David saying, I'm, I haven't been friends with this guy in a year. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so that that's where, again, some of the other stuff that colors the episode right. could actually be used, you know, when he's saying... You know, he's a jerk. He's a jerk who blew himself away, which is what he says when he's talking to Brandon. He's saying how, you know, I dropped him because he wasn't as cool as as Brandon, Steve, Kelly, whatever. You could argue he's almost like digging his own grave based on that, uh, based on that. Um, you know, could he say, like, I was angry, I was upset, you know, I, my best friend just shot himself. He could probably, I bet he could probably overcome that if need be. We've we've talked a lot in the episode about um, the parents, and we've we've always sort of talked about them as the parents. Um, is there an argument to be made that the parents really need to be separated here, and that we're probably only talking about the father, and that the mother might have no responsibility whatsoever, or is it pretty likely that they're going to bring an action against both of them um, jointly as the parents and because it's their estate, or do we really think it might just be the father and the mother had no, if the mother had no idea about the gun or had no, no control over its storage, is, is that something that might come up in a case like this? It's a good question. I, I don't think so. Given the relationship, uh, again, we don't know everything, you know, in the backstory about it, but I, I think given their relationship, I don't, I mean, maybe the dad would try to help out the mom and be like, she had no idea what was going on. But I think the fact that they both live there, they both own the property. If it's a gun that's purchased while they were married, you know, I don't know how California works, but, you know, the the, the actual item that was used in the in the commission of whatever you want to call it, it was probably jo deemed joint property if they bought it at the same, you know, if they bought it while he was married or a gift while they were married. So I don't think that would be a huge issue. Again, California might be different, and depending if they're suing underneath, you know, underneath a, a homeowner's policy, they would both be deemed insured by definition as husband wife living in the. If they're actually husband and wife, which they are living in the same location, which they are, they both deemed to be insured by policy definition. So, I don't think it'd be a huge issue. Gotcha. Are there are there any other? Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other claims swirling around this episode that we that we haven't we haven't mentioned or haven't discussed. Um, I mean, maybe maybe going one degree further. I mean, we've talked about David, but would there be any possibility that? I mean, I guess it's just kind of that same like zone of proximate danger conversation that we've had. But would would any of these other families potentially have you know the parents of the of the children who were there? Um, who maybe weren't in David's shoes, but would would is it possible that some of them might be able to sustain a claim? I think no, I don't think so. I think those were all their kids. No. Well, I, I don't really know if they were that. all their kids or if they were friends of the younger kids. I think David uh -huh. had, David has a younger sister who uh -huh. episode gets molested by an uncle, whatever. Uh, but the point is, is that in order to be zone of danger, <laughs> this family to, really has been through the a very. It's a very messed up family. Which you could the starting point for the messed up family was was this episode, but. 
in order to have zone of danger, you can't be, you know, in another room. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, again, the zone of danger started with car accidents, but even it's been extended to fires and, and things like that. You know, it's a case where a mother watched her son die in a fire because she was actually in the house while the fire department was there searching for him. She's right there. The Another family member had run out of the house already. So even though they might have known that the mm-hmm. guy was in the house, they they would he was not deemed or that other family member was not deemed to be in the zone of danger. So the fact that they were in another room and did not witness any of the actual action, I don't believe they would have any kind of claim, whether or not they're actually it, put aside, you know, their actual children and, and whatever. Uh, they the the other children there and the other you know friends of David, I don't think would have any kind of claim because they weren't present for the actual shooting. And in terms of them, you know, the last thing, as you guys are well well aware of, you got to show damages. Right. David could David could argue the damages because of that zone of danger, comp, you know, uh, concept where the other people uh, could not. What about a? Uh... Uh, what, could the parents maybe bring a trespassing claim against the two kids who were making out in their uh, in their bedroom? <laughs> well, they were invited into the house, so I think there's uh, not into the not into the bedroom. Certainly not into. I that think bedroom. you probably have to. It's you know, I, I really a little tongue in cheek here. I think that you would have to, even if you were told, "Do not go in my room. You're not allowed. You're still allowed in the house." So, so you would that would not uh, be anything there. But I mean, it was. Um, Maybe Scott's mom could bring a negligent infliction case against them for the observing it. Obviously, put some strain on her. So, well, I think that's the patented Bergstein humor uh, working right there. But I don't. There wouldn't be an issue there. I mean, the funny thing is, at the end of the day, they end up all having a fun time at the party, despite nobody wanting to be there until he shot himself in the stomach. I also shot, thought he shot himself in the head when I first watched it, but. I guess later on they said he shot himself in the stomach and bled out over his wife's his his mom's rug. Yeah, you would think that like if he shot himself in the stomach with so many people in the house that he probably could have been saved. But I, I guess that. Well, I mean, it depends obviously where. I mean, we we both when we were prosecutors, you know, had gun cases where a person was shot and did not die because we did not do homicides. Um, so I guess that would just depend, you know, where he got shot. Even if you assume a relatively quick response between, you know, he sees it calls 911, cops get there at some point. It just depends where he shot, you know, where he got shot. I think adding to like, now that we're talking it through, adding to David's case is he, he wouldn't have died right away. So he would, he would have been like bleeding out on the floor Presumably, David would would have like stayed with him until like the ambulance got there, or whatever. So it's like, I mean, it's it probably would have been just as horrifying to see him shoot himself in the head. But I would think that like the length of time and what and that he was there as he died probably would have been even uh, make for a stronger. It a probably stronger. it probably would, uh, you know. <clears throat> reason I know about the zone of danger is actually from my father's work as a plaintiff's attorney. And obviously the longer that you are suffering, the more money you get. Yeah. Uh, again, we don't know how long he was sitting there for, you know, he might've, they say stomach, but you know, he could have shot himself in the chest, could have been the lungs and the lungs filled with fluid and he's dead in 30 seconds. Uh, it obviously does have a little bit of a difference. Usually when you're talking about uh, you know, additional funds or additional money for 
the amount of suffering. Uh, I'm not sure how much in the zone of danger that would mean. It, it, obviously, it's a bigger thing, you know, if you get seriously injured, the longer that you are hurt for. Because there are, there are cases where, you know, a person gets hit by a truck. And the and the it, the whole point of the case is, can we show that he was al- he or she was alive for even a split period, a, a split second? Right. If you can show the person's alive and was in pain at that time, it's a bigger recovery than if they just died immediately. So obviously that's where David, you know, David's eyewitness testimony would come in. Like, did he say anything or was it just, you know, part 10 seconds later, he's dead. It is kind of interesting how they elected to film it and like do the storytelling. I feel like there's no way a teen drama would, would do that the same way. Now I feel like now they would really draw out that scene and make it super emotional. Like kids walking out of the house being escorted out of the house by their parents or the police and sirens and you know it'd be like the melodramatic music like that's the way it's always done now whereas like this was just like the shot and then it's like then you know a couple days later right that's that's the decision that they made what was interesting about about your point it's a good one is that there are other deaths in the show where they do that kind of like it happens and they move on and then other other deaths where they really focus on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's an episode later on where one of Steve's friends dies of a drug overdose and they show him on the floor struggling to, you know, saying, I don't want to die. They show the police showing up. They show the ambulance mm-hmm. showing up. They show him being wheeled out on his, you know, on the gurney dead. And then other deaths, it's, you know, three seconds and it goes to, you know, David at school the next day. So mm-hmm. it is interesting how they, you know, what they decided to focus on. I do think that if it was done in 2023, they would have really shown their CGI chops and shown blood everywhere and him trying to do something and everybody running in and the police showing up. But I guess they just, you know, didn't want to do that. Uh, and they had a lot of time capsule stuff to talk about in this episode. They didn't, <laughs> didn't have time. I, I, you know, the other, the other consideration here is, <clears throat> this is 1991. This is kind of a groundbreaking episode. I, mm-hmm. I remember the reason I thought of this episode is it was it was like in terms of like water cooler TV moments. This is kind of one of the first ones where like you know this is a very surprising event. I don't think anybody thought this is the kind of sh- like stuff had happened on the show before, but one of the but one of the cast members dying um, in such kind of like a gruesome way. It was definitely like all over the news, all over the press. Because I mean, this is the height of the show, also. Like, this is not as soon as the most popular show in the country at that time, or one of the most popular shows in the country. So, um, I think they also were very careful with how they handled it because of what a revolutionary step it was. It's also interesting. We can talk about this for like two seconds. How they dealt with the gun control piece of it, because um, I think. This was before the assault rifle repeal. So gun control was in '95, and this was '91. If I remember, yeah. So like, I gun control was like not, and there were mass shootings, obviously, to the same extent there are now. You know, this is before Columbine. They they do say something in the episode, which is like, you know, I think at some point they say something like, every year, like hundreds of kids die or something. It's like something where it feels like almost like quaint. You know, it's like, yeah. Thousands and thousands. But I mean, Andrea, or is it Andrea? I I never know how to say her name. Uh, Um, She does want to like put a a gun control mm -hmm. 
angle into the story. Um, but I, you know, that I think is the biggest difference. Now, this would have been like the jumping off point for like a full episode discussion about gun control and guns in the home and the obligations of parents. Like actually what we're talking about now yeah. in this episode probably would have been more central to what the episode was actually about um, in a 2023 yeah. teen drama. Well, if it, if it was a 2023 teen drama, you probably have an arc over David and his family suing Scott's family for what we we're discussing and having that be a whole case. Uh, and now, obviously, in this episode, it kind of get first of all, that never gets discussed at all for obvious reasons. And they really kind of, you know, Andrea is like the moral compass of the show. And, and every time something pops up, she's the one kind of talking about it because she's not actually doing anything of any value. But, <laughs> you know, I feel like I feel like it, it does kind of get pushed to the side, the issues that 100% in 2023 would have get brought up, whether it's the gun control, even when they had an episode, you know, with people losing their virginity in 1991, you went to the hotel room and then the next scene is after and you make a comment like, oh, we, ha we did have it. Nowadays, 2023, they'd be showing the actual like scene up to a certain point. But they don't, they couldn't do that in 1991. So in 1991, there was no discussion about, hey, let's this could be a jumping off point about gun control and gun safety and protecting the kids and how every every aspect of society, whether it's going to school, going to a concert, going to a show, in the back of your mind, there's like that one percent of like, is this going to be the day where some crazy person does something? And obviously, this is a smaller, you know, type of zone because it's just Scott, and he's not a he's not trying to hurt anybody. He just made a mistake. But it just shows how guns are permeating and, and they're in the they're in the home and anything can happen once you introduce a gun into it. But they really kind of stayed away from that uh, pretty much 100 percent. I actually I when I was doing a little bit of research for the episode, I read a it's a 2018 New York Times article. One third of all households have a gun, which actually is not that surprising in the United States. I thought that it probably would be around that. But I mean, when you hear this stat, it's jarring. And this is in 2018, so it's definitely increased since then because I feel like guns have become more only more popular as time goes on. But as many as 4.6 million children live in a house where at least one gun is kept loaded and unlocked. So not not guns that are like compliant with the safe storage laws that are out there. There's 4.6 million kids out there where there's a loaded gun in the house and it's and it's not locked away. That's crazy. Really. Crazy. Um, and, uh, the fact that there, ha I can't think of another show that's done something like this in the last 30 years, um, is also somewhat telling <laughs> because mainstream TV shows don't want to piss people off and gun control is obviously a very contentious issue, whereas I don't think it necessarily was in 1991 for whatever reason. Um, anyway, any, any other, uh, legal issues that, you, that, that jumped to my mic or, we can move on to uh, the Steve overdose episode for the next for the next one. The next one. Well, I mean, I, I think we covered everything. I mean, the thing about zone of danger. To going back to that, I think that's the biggest one. Obviously, I'm not I'm not a California attorney because a lot of jurisdictions, in order to recover for zone of danger, you have to be a family member, which there's no allegation that they are. So, obviously, if California had if if an element in California was that you needed to be a family member. Then he wouldn't even be able to recover on that. But I know there are some jurisdictions where you don't have to be a family member. So 
just want to throw that in. I mean, I think that that pretty much covers everything about, you know, Scott shooting himself and what the parents would have to deal, you know, parents and the friends would have to deal with. But I mean, it's, it was, it was an interesting, you know, Lee brought it up that they really didn't take this as like, Hey, we're going to do this episode in order to have like a discussion about gun ownership and gun safety. Cause they did do that with other episodes. There's an AIDS episode where, you know, part of the reason they do the episode is to kind okay, of we, we 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 get you're the you're the Beverly Hills encyclopedia, but we want to be okay, you brought up an interesting point in that they would do an episode to hammer in a, like an educational purpose for yeah. it, and in this one they did not, and I think that was the the time in 1991 there wasn't Columbine, and kids were not as far as you know maybe obviously they were maybe they were and we just didn't know about it no social media whatever but. Definitely, if there were, a, there were a lot less, you know, school shootings, mall shootings, mass shootings. And the fact that I think that's probably one of the reasons they did not use that as like a well, you couldn't, you, you, you couldn't get an assault rifle. And all mass shootings take place with an assault weapon. So, yes. But, but even so, it, it, even if he went into his, you know, let's say he, he, was, he was depressed and was going to bring it into his school because it was something that had not been done nearly as much and gun control was not as big of an issue as it is now, mainly because of the repeal of the assault uh, rifles ban. You know, the fact that they did not make it a part of the episode, like that being, hey, we're going to create this issue so we can talk about it, like they did in other, other things and other shows doing other things, was interesting, but I guess not surprising for the time, because it really was not as big of an issue. So last last question I have is, can you unpack the relationship between uh, Scott's mom and David? Because I feel like there was, it, it, does that come back up? Is there any backstory that I was missing there? Or is it just a creepy, weird, uncomfortable dynamic? You know what? I think, um, well, there's no, there's no like creepy sexual stuff between mm -hmm. David and, and Scott's mom. As far as we know, I, there is a later <laughs> episode where the husband's gone and now the uncle's kind of molesting the, the sister, I guess. Um, but I think the, I think really is she's an overbearing uh -huh. kind of mom uh -huh. who sees that her son's best friend. And from everything we've seen in the show, her son's only friends seems to have been, you know, discarding him and dropping him. And mm -hmm. I think she mm -hmm. sees that, mm -hmm. but she can't go to him and say, Hey, you're dropping him. Like, yeah, yeah. Or kind of talk to him like that. So the only thing she can do is kind of guilt him into mm -hmm. showing up. And if you notice all the, all the not the adults but all of i guess they were adults in real life but all the all the kids from high school that showed up were all david's friends right that he was using to replace scott and scott didn't have his own his own friends to, to bring so i think she was probably just you know a mom who saw the way the wind was blowing as to her son and her son's best friend and her son's social status and tried to butt in it also is it also is setting up the emotional catharsis at the end of the episode. So that mm -hmm. was, I think that's part of the setup there. The, I, one other thing to mention before we go: the dancing scene is just laugh out loud funny. This this song comes on with no words. Mm -hmm. It's just like a song that didn't have to license, obviously, from anybody. And they all are like these these cool kids in high school. This is like Cooper. This is like the coolest group. Mm -hmm. high school all like really get into it and are like laughing and smiling and dancing like very aggressively i thought it was i thought it was very funny 
Well, they they've traditionally been horrible at any kind of music and dancing because you know with David's main you know his one of his main character things is being a great dancer and singer of which he's neither, but he's often you know the life of the party as a dancer, and you know Brenda's considered to be a good dancer and some of the other ones are considered to be like good dancers and you know all hip and everything like that, so it's not surprising for the show because they were often. Or, you know, portrayed as being cool, yet the actual things they were doing would get them laughed out of a 2023 high school. <laughs> That's definitely true. All right, well, we're going to have to mine the Beverly Hills content for another episode, Mike, so you can come back on and, and talk about more issues. I'm sure I'll, you pay, I'll do 10 hours on, on any episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we appreciate you giving us uh, an hour for this one, and um, if people want to learn more about you or your practice, where can they where can they find you? Well, uh, as you mentioned, I've been at uh, Ruben Fiorella Friedman and Mercanti for uh, over ten years. It was the first job I got after the DA's office, which is where me and you met. Uh, really, not much to you know, kind of explain. We all do civil defense work, and uh, you know, it's it's a really nice place to work. If anyone's anyone who's listened to your podcast was looking for a job, so uh, I appreciate being on. I've listened to. Uh, a bunch of your other podcasts, especially the ones with the QDA alum, uh, specifically Jared's with uh, my cousin Vinny, I thought was uh, exceptionally good. All right. Well, you so, can you can send the power rankings another time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Louisa's last. Louisa goes dead last. She's listening. We we do uh, we do appreciate your time. We will find another nine two or no episode for you to do, um, and. You know, maybe we'll pick it a few years down the line so Cooper can like figure out what what's happened to the characters over the course of the I'm gonna watch the I'm gonna watch the reboot first. I heard the reboot's really good. Reboot's off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, thanks so much. And then we'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. Anytime. Thanks, Mike. Later. For more on all things real estate and the law, subscribe to this and our other podcasts. Follow Bergstein, Flynn, Knowlton, and Polina on social media. Subscribe to our newsletter and go to bfklawoffice.com. That's bfklawoffice.com to learn more.